Welcome to the Pastor to Pastor podcast, where we aim to bring content and discussions that will build up and hold up pastors and their families as they pursue the call of God in their lives and their ministries. We pray that this episode leaves you encouraged and equipped to thrive as a minister or pastor in the kingdom of God. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Pastor to Pastor podcast. Uh, We are excited for today, and uh, we've got Pastor Dan Livingston. Hey. The Dan Livingston. <laughs> you're right. Uh, <laughs> depends on who you're talking to. Uh, right? The Dan Livingston. Uh, no, we're we're uh, excited for today. We've got a great podcast to put in front of you guys. Something, a topic that's been really uh, passionate. Something really on our hearts, and and especially uh, having gone through a transition as a church. Right. Having uh, you know you launched Transformation Church back in. 2013 officially as TC uh, we built you know God done amazing things I took over in 2018 you know we worked on a transition we set a transition plan in place uh, went you know four years uh, right at just under five years really and transitioned me into the lead pastor role in 2018 and from that you know we made it our mission to um and, and I, as a pastor, we as a church and even our board, I mean, it was a lot of conversations around what does the future look like for you in that? And I believe we had a healthy plan in place to make sure that uh, we were able to honor you and I've, and we've done our best to try to accomplish that. But a lot of places don't have that. Well, we did not have it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, that right. that's the, I'm one in a million and I know that and very humbled by it, uh, we had nothing in place. You know, in my mind, when we made the transition, uh, I was just going out and getting a secular job, and which I was okay with. Do what you gotta do. It was the right move to make for the church, and uh, that was that was priority, you know, in my, my, my eyes. And then for the church to do what you guys have done has been a very humbling thing on my end, and, and, and your mom's, my wife, and, uh, but we know that that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, we, we talk with pastors. That's why it's called pastor to pastor and hear horror story after horror story of pastors that have put 20, 30, 40, 50 years of their life in the ministry. And then one day find out that that life as they've known it is over and there's nothing planned. Mm-hmm. There is nothing in place. And there's not a son or there's not a board or there's not a church. They're going, okay, you sowed into us for all these years. Now we're going to sow back. Mm-hmm. That's not taking place. You know, you heard, you know, just recently I sat in front of a pastor that was weeping 38 years in pastoring, started the church, pioneered it. And then suddenly after 38 years, uh, the board meets and decides they want a younger pastor and they fire him and give him a going away dinner. After yeah. 38 years of pastoring, and it's like, how probably can that be? Probably wasn't even a very good dinner. Probably no. wasn't. <laughs> probably I'm sure know. it wasn't. Yeah. But um, so, so, you know, we've before that, you and I have had a lot of conversation, uh, you know, that we weren't taught that, you know, uh, to even plan for the future. And we've got a lot of uh, pastors that are at that season in their life now that there's not a whole lot that we can do to, to, to bring a remedy it's to a that other game, than hopefully, 
maybe some of their leadership will hear this and go, okay, we need to do something. Sure. You know, we may not be set up to do a whole lot, but we, we can do something. And then there's pastors, maybe you're midway through your, your journey of pastoring and you've got time to readjust some things uh, in the structure and the culture of your church. And then for the new pastors, the young guys on the block, uh, we, we want to talk about here in the next few minutes on uh, just as much as you put effort in starting your church, you need to be putting uh, effort and attention in to what's your church going to look like 20, 30 years from now when you're transitioning that church over to someone else. What's your role going to be in it at that point? And what's the church's responsibility to you as the pastor, the founding pastor, or a pastor that's come in and taken an existing church? But we don't think about that. You know, uh, I was recently invited to sit down around the table for three days with a, a group of pastors that are either resigning now and some are transitioning their church over very few because most in that generation, uh, there was most of the people there over 70. I was one of the young guys, believe it or not, at 64. But um, I sat around a table with a group of pastors and some have no plan at all. Uh, they're in that position. And I heard heartbreak after heartbreak, fear, mm. anxiety, mm. frustration, anger, Yeah, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness now that... I've sowed my life into a place that has nothing or desire to sow back. And, uh, you know, and, and to see that hurt and the frustration and the fear. And I shared something with them all around the table. I said, you know, every one of us were lied to. We've been lied to for 20, 30, 40 years because we were told that we were going to preach until we die. And not one of us is going to do that. Yeah. We're not going to pastor until we die. Mm -hmm. People don't want to hear me until I die. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the ability to do that until I die. Mm -hmm. And I'm not supposed to. Yeah. And But that was the, the deception that we were given. So now we've got pastors all across the country that are hitting their mid-60s, 70s, mid-70s, and going, I'm not going to be able to do this until I die. So what do I do now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is how I survive. This is how I pay my bills. This is what I do. This is all I know. So what do I do now? Yeah. Because the church has not been taught to plan for the future just as well as we plan for today. Mm. Yeah. I see the church, you know, churches historically haven't, haven't necessarily, either they've been in a survival type of mindset almost constantly. It's only, you know, or, um, or, uh, a Sunday to Sunday context. So we, great. We got the great services today. Next week, we're going to do it again. It's like, who's thinking about five years from now? Who's thinking about 10 years from now? You know, and I get, it. I mean, a lot of pastors don't even have the, the wherewithal or the mental capacity to do that. But I think what your, your argument or what you're kind of putting on the table for pastors is if you're not, you're doing you and your church a disservice. If Absolutely. you're not thinking about the future, uh, at least I, you know, we no, no, nobody would go on a road trip with an undetermined destination and hope that they get there. Because the question right. is, where is there? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, but I think a lot of pastors and a lot of churches, they're on a, they're on a journey, but there's no destination for the path. It's like, you know, how do we know when the when is the right time to 
you know, I don't, I don't think ministers really retire, but right. to step out of the pulpit and let someone else take that or be the captain of the ship or whatever language you want to use, like you, we have to acknowledge that there, you know, that's the thing. And, and I think one of the things you mentioned just a second ago, you know, it's like, we think we thought we were going to preach until we die and we're not, you know, and the reality is for many of them, they may have opportunities to preach till they die, but none of them are going to pastor till they die. Right. And, yeah. and ultimately, you know, you may be able to find pulpits to preach in occasionally, but the reality is in the, the, I think what most, and you, I would love to hear your, where you're at on this and what you believe most of the response coming from all those men were, is it didn't sound like the frustration is I preached so many years and there's not anything to show for it. I think their frustration is I've pastored. I shepherded, I built, I have hospital visits and funerals and weddings. And, and I've poured my life into this group of people that I've shepherded all these years. And they just replaced the shepherd. You know, the sheep got a new shepherd. Yeah. You're another, <laughs> you're another number. You're just, yeah. You're, yeah, you know, you're a product that can be replaced. I with the old and in with the new. Right. Yeah. And so what is that? You know, so the frustration for many of them is, you know, um, I think I, certainly there's probably a gift, you know, an insecurity about not using their gift. You know, they've fallen in love with the pulpit or they've, you know, they don't know who they are outside of the pulpit. And then there's the other side of it. You know, I would assume So there's the preaching side of it then there's the shepherding side of it and realizing that you're not, you know, you may do a little bit of preaching, but most of that's kind of yeah. past you now, or at least the way you've thought of it historically. You know what I mean? Like, um, I even think about, I think about you, I think about pastor to pastor, you know, we, we sat down and we said, you know, ministry is not over for you, but it's going to have to look different, mm -hmm. you know? And so now we're trying to channel the gift and the shepherding gift for you into a space where you can use it, you know? Right. So, but do you feel like some of these pastors just don't know how to channel that gift do you, I mean, in your experience, do they not even want to channel that gift? I mean, they kind of just over it. Are they burnt out? Are they exhausted? Like, is I heard, and and not just in this one conference, but a retreat it was, um, just talking to pastors over the last 12, 14 years with pastor to pastor, it's a little bit of both or, or everything. Um, you know, pastors pour their life into people, and then at that point, they feel like people abandon them, you know, and, and many have been. Um, but I, I want to, I think we go back to the, the point, you know, Barnum put out statistic recently and, uh, it was over 40% of the pastors right now for face burnout. Yeah. And that's, that's scary. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And then, uh, they gave the reasons why, and the number one reason why was anxiety and stress. Hmm. The second one was isolation. You know, Man. and and that says a whole lot right there, you know, yeah. of we're blessed because we 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 call our church a community and a family. Mm -hmm. uh, that tells me that most churches are set up strictly like a business and the, the relationship and the community and the family is not there. Right. And if we're setting up something to where. I already know when I'm a 25-year-old pastor that somewhere around age 55 or 50, I'm going to be transitioning this and handing it over to a successor that's going to now take it to another level. 
that's something I joyfully look forward to, not regretting that that's going to come to an end. So my role as pastor changes, but my importance and and my uh, my ministry doesn't end. It just now goes down a different route that's going to support that ministry that I've spent the last 30 years pouring my life into. I get right. to sit on the front row and cheer. <laughs> the, you happen to be my son. Yeah. It may be. It may not be the that pastor's biological son. It may yeah, be yeah. a spiritual son. Yeah, I think Kerry yeah, Newhoff is a prime example of this up in uh, in Canada. But you know, I've seen him do that well. But yeah. So you know, it, it's really knowing when I'm starting this church, I'm planning for the future. That's what we're talking about today. That there has just as important as starting it is immediately planning for that day when it does come. It may be 20 years from now, 40 years from now, but we were talking to some people today mm-hmm. in, in our foyer that are here from out of town and great Christian leaders, but we were talking about that, you know, that I'm constantly asked, why don't you step aside when you're still healthy? Yep. You're still young, you know, there's still youth in you, though you're 64, they're still preaching you. You could still be doing what you were doing. Why did you transition over four years ago at, at gonna, yeah. under 60 years old? I was gonna, you were 59 then. 59. Yeah. You yeah. know, why did you do that then? And I said, because I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. It was it was not my season to continue on as the visionary of the house. God had shifted that over to you, and I mm-hmm. could let ego or pride, because you were sharing things with me that I wasn't seeing. And God spoke to me and said that he had now trans. You were the one he was sharing the vision of the house to. It was no longer my role. Now, we didn't immediately. That was four years before that. So that's around 55. Yeah. You know, and and but God already began to prepare me that this was a transition that was about to take place. And I told the gentleman out there today, I said, when I do preach now, and I still love to preach, it's not that the preach is gone the responsibility to be the leader of the house is no longer mine to carry. Yeah. And because I wasn't seeing, I was no longer seeing that vision of the house. When I'm asked to preach, I enjoy preaching, but I know when I do preach now, I'm not as sharp as I was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it's okay. Yeah. It's not wrong, you know? And so my word to them was, why do I want to be the one up there when I've got a sharper knife in the drawer Sure, that can be up there bringing the word of God, showing clear vision? My vision would be cloudy right now. Mm-hmm. Your vision's clear. You're sharp when you speak. I'm not dead, but I'm not as sharp as I was 20 years ago when I know sure. it. Sure. So why not acknowledge it and go, God has raised up someone in the house happens to be my biological son, but it, our journey was treated, it would have been the same if you were a spiritual son. Sure. And so, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Obviously, absolutely. we have a relationship I wouldn't have had with a, just a spiritual son, but someone out there may not have a biological son. Mm-hmm. It may be a spiritual son, but that was a journey that we discussed those things, Yeah. you know? And so it made it, I thought I would go through mega withdrawals, not preaching every Sunday, because we did it three times a week. Yeah. You know, three times a Sunday plus Wednesday yeah. plus Bible studies. So there's four or five times a week that, that I was teaching and preaching. And I haven't, I didn't go through withdrawals at all. Yeah. You know, it was a joy. It's been a fun journey to watch God do what he's doing, knowing 
that the church is healthier now than it's ever, ever, ever been. It's growing like crazy. God is just manifesting himself in so many ways. And we both sitting here being honest would know if I was still that person in that position that I'm not ready to be in right now, the church would not be where it's at today. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that, well, I think there's, there's layers to the components as to why, and I would love to unpack that for a second. You know, you said that I was seeing things that you weren't, can you, can you give us maybe a little bit more clarity or give the listeners a little more clarity as to what you mean by that when you say I was seeing things that you want, because there's probably pastors out there that are at least in a place of questioning that, you know, am I still the guy for this? And what is it, what did that look like for you in particular for me to have clearer vision? Well, I mean, you were seeing things in culture change mm. that I wasn't seeing. Um, the president, when we say culture that people all immediately think race, Yeah, uh, we were already a multi, we've always, always been a multicultural as far as racial church. Mm-hmm. And we've always been a multi-generational church yeah, for whatever enough. reason. Uh, without doing anything special to do that, God has just graced us with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the culture in the presentation, the culture and the style, um, you know, you were seeing changes that I wasn't seeing. I wasn't against them. Right. Some of it were new to me that I had to adjust to, but I wasn't against it. Um, you know, just the presentation, um, the you know, how it looks, uh, the whole thing. Um you know, was things that you were seeing technology wise, Mm -hmm. you know, um, one of the first things you did when we, when you took over as a lead pastor was you met with me and you sat down with me and you said, God really spoke to you and, and spoke to your heart that we needed to prepare the church that if the day came, we would be able to function very successfully if it was online only. Well, online and and my mind don't even click. I mean, technology and Dan Livingston don't even go together. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, an iPhone is a challenge to me. So forget all the other stuff. And and I was like, okay. And you weren't. And COVID had not even hit. We didn't even know about That's COVID. 2018. Yeah. And so, but you were basing it off of the of the statistic that a regular church attender now attends once a month. And so we can either throw throw them away. Or we can say, okay, what do we do to reach those people and that that community that's going to spend eternity somewhere? Do we just go, well, if you don't want to come when we have church, forget you. Or are we going to create a church that now can go into their home or get on their phone and reach them? Yeah. And I'm not thinking that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing that. You were seeing that. Mm-hmm. None of us knew that COVID God was, was preparing us for COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so when COVID hit, we were ready. Yeah we were already in place. So God was showing you things that I wasn't seeing. Cause I think that's a beautiful, that's a great articulation of, of what we're hoping to communicate to others is like, you know, don't let my invitation to older pastors that, you know, you're, you're maybe in your fifties or, you know, don't let, I would encourage you not to let your insecurity of not knowing what the future looks like. If you're not the guy, be the reason why you don't acknowledge that God may have shifted the mantle of that house, mm-hmm. the vision of the future of that house to someone else. And, and you may have a young minister or a spiritual son or whatever 
that God is speaking so clearly to about the future and he's seeing things more clearly than you. And, and, and I mean, me and you, we butted heads on it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the other side of this is me and you. I mean, I remember, I remember vividly us having one conversation in the kitchen of the house and I was bringing up culture again. And I, and I don't know if you remember this, but you're like, I don't want to hear the word culture one more time. <laughs> and, uh, and because I was, I was, I couldn't get away from this passionate understanding that we need to turn the corner on some things. And yet I wasn't the captain of the ship yet. And it, it took some humility on, you know, on, uh, I guess humility or, or just outright obedience on my part to say, right, but I'm not the guy yet. So I have to, I got to know when to push this and when to not push this. And that was my own area of repentance that I had to let God press on my heart to say, yeah, but you're still not the guy yet. You, you know, like, you know, Moses isn't gone yet. So calm down, Aaron. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so, uh, you know, um, there's more than one time when I told you your name's not on the yeah, side. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> you know, so it's like, David, you're, you know, your time is coming, but Saul's still there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those types of things were still happening. Whereas like Brad, your time is coming, but Dan is still there. And, um, but there was just, there was a lot of, there were multiple moments of tension between the two of us and looking back on it, I think a lot of the reasons why those tension, that tension existed was because it was obvious that the vision of the house had shifted to me. The, the Holy spirit had shifted what the future of the church looked like to me and away from you a little bit, you were still passionate about the church. You still loved the church. You were still pastoring the church. You're still preaching the church, but it was just obvious something had shifted and, but we weren't ready. The church wasn't ready. And we still had a whole, you, you know, a few years that this was going to have to happen. But the acknowledgement of, oh, wait a second, you're seeing what I'm not seeing. God's doing something with you that he's not doing with me anymore. I used to have that. I, you, you used to see those things. And now someone else is seeing them as an acknowledgement to say, okay, we need to start charting the course here for what we know is coming. Um, and more importantly, I need to prepare to, to hand these reins over. Um, it, but that realization is just key for other pastors that are listening where it's like, man, you got, it, you know, if you're coming into your, you know, 50, 60, whatever God is doing in your house, um, you know, and God has given the vision for the future of your church to someone else. Now you really need to be praying about yeah. what that looks like. That's the next season. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, going back to the whole topic and, and everything you said was dead on there. Um, it's challenging every pastor, you know, why pour your life into building something for 20, 30 years and then just watch the doors close Yeah, or bring somebody in. And we know the statistics when you just bring in a new pastor is horrendous oh, yeah. of the church survival and especially not thriving. Uh, even on a healthy transition like we had, mm -hmm. uh, statistics show a 30% decline in attendance and yeah. giving and everything. And we didn't experience that immediately. We saw about a 15% decline. But then over the first year, we saw the other 15% hit. But we didn't miss it because the church had already grown yeah, yeah. beyond where it we was. Were we were trading but, people at that point. Yeah, at that yeah. point we were trading, but we still had a 30% of our people leave yeah. and people didn't leave mad. Thankfully we didn't have anybody. We had no issues. It was just people saw you as a little boy growing up and they just had a hard time of, you sure. know, uh, receiving you as a D pastor. 
and they're still great friends today. Yeah. But um, and we were going to run at a different pace. Though. Yeah, you're you're going to a different angle. You're going to vision. a different territory, and they yeah. were they were wanting to be more traditional, which is fine. Sure. And uh, there are another churches that fit where they want to go, they're and we bless great. them absolutely. You know, and we still go to dinner, and we're still friends. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. And uh, join churches, not gay. But I but I challenge pastors today. Like we were just in and just had a great friend of ours visiting with us, ministering here, sixty nine years old. Yep. And um, he he has he did not have anything in place. He thought he did, and then that went haywire on him. And so now he's going back home and he was going to, he was going to step aside and resign at age 70 had already prepared his church. But when he was here for that one weekend, he told us this, he, uh, he went back home and God spoke to him and God gave him a word in the Sunday morning service, a prophetic word, yeah. a prophetic word. None of us knew about it happened yeah. in private. Yeah, It wasn't a, a big hoorah. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. a microphone and thus saith the Lord, God gave him a word and said, you had a David in the house. You don't, you haven't identified him yet. And that you've got a son there that God's going to hand the church to. Don't resign yet because he'd already prepared his board. He was resigning at age 70. Yeah. And God said, no, there, there's someone in the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, David was the one that was neglected, wasn't seen. Out of his brothers, yeah. You know, out of all of his brothers and had to be called in. He was, there was a David in the house that nobody saw immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and God spoke a word to him and he went back home and he called me days later and he said, uh, I've got a David in the house. Wow, that's amazing. And so he's told his board, I'm not stepping aside at 70. We're going to prep this, that's right. and we're going to transition this, and we're going to see the church stay healthy and strong. Beautiful. And so I, I just challenge pastors to begin to pray, and if you're a pastor that's midway through your pastorship, begin to ask God, show you if you don't have them yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a David in the house, or there's one coming. Yeah. And start asking God to identify that David that's going to be handed the reins yeah. and, and begin to prepare, begin to prepare the church, prepare the leadership mm-hmm. and, and begin to prepare what's your role going to be. Yes. Uh, after you transition, do you, you don't have to leave. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to understand you're not the leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't go to board meetings. I don't <laughs> go don't, to staff. I love to to it. I meetings. love it. I don't have to go. I don't go to staff meetings. So yeah. I love our staff. Yeah. But I'm not in all of that planning any longer, you know, um, but I'm a part of the team. Yep. And, and I've been treated like part of the team. I'm not, I don't walk in a meeting and you go, Oh no, here, you know, I'm not going to override you in anything. Yeah. You know? And I, and that's key. And I, I want to hit on that in just a second, but I, you know, before we get there, you know, we've talked about the transition and some of those things. And I think, you know, there's, there were, there was a, there was a few relationships that we were connected to the Lipscombs here in Pensacola, Josh and Buford Lipscomb. We were able to observe their transition and really glean some wisdom from pastor Josh, who's one of our overseers, one of my, one of my best friends. Um, and so we had some wisdom there that's super helpful, but there were, there were two conversations that one of them we were both able to listen to. And one of them, I think I listened to, but you didn't. Um, one of them was Willie and Whit George. Right. And that was a, I think that was a big eye opener for you. Huge. What, and, and can you, is there one or two things from that conversation between Willie? Cause they transitioned Willie George healthy. handed his church to Whit. Uh, his son and what's killing the game right now, just absolutely doing phenomenal. But what was there anything in particular from that conversation that just made it everything click and you go, Oh my goodness. You know? No, I, I to me, I, I've already said it, but I'll repeat it. Um, Willie George said that he knew when he was in the, those last 
sermons that he preached or before he made the decision to hand it over, not after he did it, but before he did it, he knew he wasn't sharp anymore. Yeah. He said, my Mm. ability to deliver the gospel had become dull. Mm. It it didn't have that sharp edge that you need to have. I don't mean you got to be perfect, but you know when you're not at a hundred percent. Right, right, right. And I don't want to give God less than a hundred percent. We've all preached on a little unprepared before. We know it wasn't our best work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even at that point, I'll be honest with you. In my late later years, when I we were in this transition, I probably prepared harder because I knew my ability to deliver the gospel Mm. wasn't as good yeah. and as smooth as it used to be. So I overstudied, overprepared, trying to make sure that I was going to be a hundred percent and, and I wasn't mm. and it's okay, but yeah. it wasn't okay then. Yeah. 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 Cause you feel like I'm letting them down or you feel bad. Now you're like, you know, mm. I'm not, I'm not who I used to be. Sure. And you go through all of these ego and trips and all of that. Yeah. So when Willie George said that it, I knew that was me, Yeah. you know, but I'd never said that out loud. Mm-hmm. I knew when I was in the pulpit, I wasn't the Dan Livingston 20 years ago. I was never a great preacher, yeah. but I knew I wasn't as sharp as I was then. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I remember I was listening to another pastor who, you know, uh, Larry and jo- uh, Jonathan Stockstill. Right. I was I was listening. I'll never forget. I was listening to um, Pastor Larry and Pastor Jonathan uh, talk, and they were they were talking about their transition, and they were just talking about seasons of life, and it, and it was one of the most powerful, like helpful realizations that I had heard uh, for the transition. You know, and Pastor Larry said, you know, when I was thirty. 35 he said he said the pace of my life was fast he said you know we had i think they have four kids maybe five he said you know four kids or five kids whatever their number is um four kids five kids we're we're taking them to this one to piano lessons that one to guitar lessons that one to drum lessons that one to soccer that one to cheerleading that one to chess that one to you know and he said it's just you know so he said the the pace of life was fast and he said and ministry reflected that we were growing. We were doing outreaches. We were, you know, getting into schools. We were launching clubs. We we're doing ministries, small groups here, Sunday mornings there, five services, opening new campuses. He said, because ministry reflected the pace of life. Um, he said, and then I got into my late 50s. He said, and my kids are grown and they've graduated high school and college and they don't live at home anymore. They're married, they've got kids. And he said, in that season of my life, he said, it just wasn't that fast. I'm not taking my kids anywhere. I come home from work and me and my wife make dinner and we sit at the table and things are slow. And he said, and ministry reflected that. I didn't have the drive in me to let's go do this and let's go do that and let's launch this thing. Let's, he said, the, the drive in me just wasn't there anymore. Uh, he said, I didn't love people less. I didn't love God less. I didn't love ministry less. It's just that the minute, the pace of your life is reflected in the pace of your ministry and something happens in your late fifties, mid to late fifties, um, where most people, you know, and a lot of people have kids in their twenties early. So, you know, your, your youngest kid is graduating and 
getting married and doing those things in life, you know, for most people and averaging in their mid to late 50s or whatever. Um, and he said, and that was the case for me. And it reflected it. And I knew for the church to continue to thrive, someone who was at a faster pace in their life had to be the one to do it. Um, Jonathan, you know, Joel first, that didn't go, you know, the first transition didn't go the way they wanted to. Jonathan stepped in and he's been just absolutely, you know, phenomenal at Bethany church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, and, um, but I remember that conversation when he was talking about the pace of life is reflected in the pace of your ministry. Yeah. And I went, wow, yeah, what a, what a, <clears throat> a thought that I believe a lot of people, your ministries are, have slowed down because your life has slowed down and that's yeah. just life. Yeah. You know, and, and we joke about it. You notice I tell people if I was still pastoring right now, we'd be in a tent in the parking lot. Yeah. We're not doing these multi-million dollar campuses that you're getting, you know, ready to yeah. move into. I mean, adding addition churches growing like crazy and, you know, adding space for our children's ministry in the gymnasium, uh, you know, the whole deal. Um, just, you know, but that, again, that's the, the season that that's why you're where you are. And, and I get to be over here and hold your hands up, you know, um, you know, sometimes you're the Moses and sometimes you're the Joshua and the Ur yeah. and all three are equally important, yeah you know? And so I was the Moses, but now I get to be the Ur and, and it's important that we as pastors and ministers that we understand that. You know, how many pastors a day are preaching and pastoring only because of a check? Mm. Yeah. You know, only because of a check, because they've done it for 30, 40 years, and that's all they know how to do. So I've got to keep doing it just to survive. And even Barna statistics, it was over 40%. I don't know how many exactly, 46, 47% of pastors in the survey said they would leave the ministry today if they had the financial means to do it, uh, you know, finances coming in from another occupation. Yeah. And, uh, but that's all they've done. So they don't know where to go to get, they would leave today. Yeah. You know, and so we've got churches that are really become just a business surviving. Yeah. A survivor, you know, the church isn't going anywhere. It's not thriving because the pastors wore out. Yeah. And he's doing all he knows to do. And the church can't help but experience that exhaustion. Absolutely. You know, that's why. If you're in that place, your church feels it. Yeah, absolutely. They feel it. And and I saw it in ours. You know, Uh, we were having good church. We weren't like dead, but we weren't exploding either. We weren't experiencing nothing, nothing like we're, we saw people saved regularly. But to have the discipleship we have, to see the fruit that we see now, I mean, you walk on the, I mean, we hear it all the time. You drive up on the parking lot here and people are like, my decision was already made. I'm coming back before I ever walk through the front door. The the welcome, the life, the energy. I've said it and I've been in ministry for 42 years. Uh, I would come to church on Sunday morning if we never had a service just for the, the experience in the lobby. Yeah. I mean, the joy, the laughter, the life, the hugs, the energy. It's like... I, you know, I know Jesus. He knows me. I don't even need the Sunday morning service. I do, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, you feel like that was enough for me, you yeah. know? Yeah, the fellowship. It's like going to a, a restaurant and you got a steak ordered, but you ate the salad and went, 
I don't even need to stay yeah, now, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but we didn't, we had a friendly church, but we didn't have nothing like that. The sure. energy, that's the culture I was talking about that you yeah. were presenting that was foreign to me, mm-hmm. you know, but we're seeing it happen. And, and so we've got pastors that are really struggling and, and, you know, there's some that we can't do a lot about right now, but for those that can, we're trying to wave a flag right now and sound a siren saying, hey, stop for a minute and look at where you are and what's it going to look like 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now and start putting things in place. You know, a, a church that can and a pastor that can, you need to start setting aside what what are we going to financially set aside so 30 years from now when our pastor has the wisdom and the will to raise up someone else so that our church don't go through a split and die and suffer, but our pastor sees beyond himself and he's going to have someone he's going to raise up and transition this church over to, and we're going to go to a whole new level when that other person takes over. What are we going to do to take care of that pastor when he's willing to do that? Mm Mm-hmm. So that he's not sixty years old, going now. What do I do? I got to work at Walmart. Or I got to push a buggy at Walmart or hamburgers at McDonald's. No, he's still a very important part of the ministry. His his function's going to change, but his importance hasn't. Yeah, and I think that that's huge. You know what? So one of the biggest things I think the the question I have is, you know, how how important. And I know the answer, but I still want to ask the question, how important is honor in the longevity of a church? Well, I, I, you know, this house is a house of honor, mm-hmm. not just to me and your mom, but to our generation. And they feel it. They feel it when you honor me. I, I hear that constantly. And I mean, it's not an every Sunday thing. Sure. It don't need to be. Yep. Uh, when you do it, I'm sitting over there going, Ugh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, but it is important. Mm-hmm. But I hear it. I hear it both ways. Uh, from because we see, you know, people think, well, you're a younger pastor now. The church is just growing with young families, and that's not true. Uh, the church is growing very diverse age wise. Yeah, you know, uh, generationally, we see uh, practically. I would say close to a fifty fifty. It may it's probably more sixty forty or maybe maybe, but it's not that far difference of forty and above and forty and below. Yeah, um, we're seeing a very steady balanced growth in the church, and the church is over doubled. What doubled and a half? What? Almost doubled in 18 months In 18 months. And, uh, after COVID during COVID, all of this stuff, but I hear it on both sides. I hear the, the people come in younger and older say it blesses me when on social media, you refer to pastor Brad as your pastor. Mm. You don't go my dad. You it's my pastor said, And then I hear my son. Yeah. Or my son, I'll put pastor slash son. Yeah. But I always say pastor. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I've had people make that comment, but I, I have the other side often where people would say, and especially from that older generation, they go, it really blesses me to be in a church, be in a house where the son honors the father, Mm. you know, yeah. And the Bible prophesied that, mm-hmm. you know, where the sons will honor their father. And, and we see that it's not anything we ask for. 
yeah uh, it's not anything we expect Mm-hmm. But what it does is it when when the house honors your mom and I as the founding pastors, it honors every person of that generation in the house. Mm. Yeah. And that's yeah. the feedback I get from them yeah. is that we are important here. Yep. We're needed here. Yep. We're recognized here. Because many churches that grow with young families totally ignore mm-hmm. that 40, 50 and above. It's like, we're glad to have your check. Yeah. We're glad to have that offering, but you know <laughs> we're going this direction, this and we're glad you might want to hang with us. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's not the atmosphere here. Sure. You know, you'll see as many fifty and sixty year olds greeting, serving, yeah, ministry on a camera, yeah. You know, because they love what's happening in the house, and they're a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I think that's key, you know, because we talk, you know, we reference TC a lot because that's where we're at, you know, but you know. Yeah, at Transformation Church, we see that, we, you know, we are a house of honor. But the reason I ask that question is, you know, for a lot of pastors out there, for a lot of churches out there, you know, the, you know, it's the, the conversation is like, well, I don't know if we can afford to honor like that. Or I don't know if we can, you know, is it wise to make that kind of, you know, for a church, is it wise to take money and pay a pastor who no longer works at the church, essentially. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, And my answer is absolutely. And here's the reason why, because God honors honor. And so as God honors honor, right? So as from my perspective, as the current lead pastor of the church, right? Who takes a portion of our staffing budget and gives it to a, founding pastor can you look at that and go well if we weren't paying that much money a year we could do these other things over here and the answer is yes you can see it that way or you can see it as if we weren't taking that money here and giving it to the founding pastor i don't know i firmly believe in my heart god wouldn't have sent all these people that are over here because we honor you god is honoring our church by bringing people to it so could we not honor, could we not honor you and put that money into staffing and be able to afford one more part-time person or, or whatever? Sure. We could do that. But because we are honoring you, God is bringing so many more people to the house in a way that we've been able to staff three positions. So it's like, so it's understanding that when we honor, when we, you know, when we establish honor in the house, God responds to that in honor. We can do, it's just like tithing. From my perspective, it's just like tithing. Could I take that 10% and do these things with it? Sure. But because I've given God that 10%, now he's going to bless me to do so much more with the 90 than I could have done with the Mm -hmm. 100. And to me, it's the same perspective. And so anyone that's out there, when you wrestle with, should we honor, should we not honor, that's money from the budget, and you you work through those things, my, my response to that would be, my encouragement to that would be, if you honor it, you'll never miss it because God will bring in more than you possibly are honoring with. And we've seen it, you know, we know that it's true. And I could give you a list of 10 pastors that seen it too, that they know that it's true. When you honor, uh, when you, when you establish honor, God will honor the house and he'll do that by bringing in far more than it's costing you to honor someone. And I think those things are really important that we establish. No, and, and it's a very uh, sensitive topic to me because, you know, you and I've had a discussion on it multiple times and I've had discussion with other pastors that are on our oversight board 
that uh, it was very hard for me and still very hard for me to accept a salary from the church when I'm not there full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was raised, you earn it or you don't get it, <laughs> you know, and I'm a workaholic, yeah. whatever I do. And it was very hard for me, you know, to, to take, um, if, if it wasn't for my wife, I probably wouldn't be, you know, your mom, she's like, you better <laughs> yeah, take you that. You better take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, everything. But um, if anybody deserves it, it's her. I get it. You know, that woman has sacrificed 42 years of her life for ministry. Sure. And, uh, but, um, but it, it's still, it's still different for me because I feel like I'm getting a welfare and I'm not using that in a negative for those that might be on welfare. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That it's just, um, but I understand it. Sure. And my conversation with you is I'm willing to do it because 20, 30 years from down the road, I want it done for you. Yeah. So that the house is set up in order mm-hmm. and giving honor because that honor is going to be to you eventually. And then who you set. Mm-hmm. And we, we're setting and establishing you know, I talked to one of our very close pastor friends, and he explained that to me. He's just what you said. Um, you stop that, and you'll see God, the favor of God, leave the house. The well. That's right. And the well will dry up. Yep. But you will see God bring in multiple times what the church has given you just because they're honoring you. That's right. That's and right. and we have watched God do that, which lets me breathe and accept it easier, even though <laughs> yeah. there's still times if I know the church is getting ready to do something or you have a vision for something, I want to go tell you, just take my my money and do that with it, you know, and then I know <laughs> I'm going to go home and get crucified by my wife. But uh, And I also know that it's not the right biblically thing to That's do right. yeah, as much as I, my personality would say, do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I thank you for saying that. And my wife and I are extremely grateful. That's what I'll say at the beginning of the podcast, we're one in a million that, that was noticed by the leadership and implemented. And we are extremely grateful for it, but we've been able to see God supernaturally bring provision into this house and measures that we have never seen happen in this house financially mm-hmm. um, we've watched god do favor on the building we're sitting in right now yeah miraculous, miraculous how god favor. gave us this building and now other acres of prime land mm-hmm. that god has blessed the church with for pennies on the dollar yeah you know well, yeah it just the, right. it just goes on and on and you're you're absolutely right and that's the you know for us you know, it's like you know we we were just with a we're, we're working on a building expansion right now, a multi-million dollar thing, blah, blah, blah. And so they were asking us how much we paid for the facility as it sits. And they were running the numbers on that. And we paid, we paid for this building 10% of what it would have cost to build it. Mm. That's insane. Yeah. 10% that's not counting the acreage. It, well, no, that was with the acreage. Oh, so okay. yeah, so that's with the, to buy the land and build the building, it would have cost, 10 times what we paid for it. And, but again, that's the favor of God. Like, yeah. so is your salary that I give you worth? <laughs> the, sure. I'll take it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like the millions of dollars that the favor, you know, cause God has honored this house. And, and even the story in that, you know, the people that own the building before us, they met with us. We want to sell it to you guys. We don't want to, we our board met. We're not going to sell it to anyone else. We only want to sell it to you. We're not, we're not going to increase the price and we're not going to list it online anywhere to start a bidding war. Mm-hmm. 
That was what they told us. We yeah. only we we want you to have it, and we're not going to let anyone else even put in an offer on it because we don't want to move the needle anymore financially. We've already told you our price. That's what we're going to sell it to you for. And they could have sold it to us for three times that. Right. But again, it was just like that's, and we would have gave it. <laughs> we would have had to. We yeah, had to. I mean, there was yeah. nothing in the city. Nothing we looked city. everywhere. Yeah. So that's yeah. just again favor. And it comes from honor and God honors honor. And I think that's just the, you know, the, the full thing you said something a second ago. I just want to nail this down as we're wrapping up here. Um, and you were talking about our overseers for those that aren't part of a, um, uh, a network or they are, even if they're in a denomination, how important do you think it is to have overseers for the pastor and for the church that don't have decision-making power, but have a high level of influence when it comes to the board and the pastor. What is your thoughts on that? And why do you think that's important? I wouldn't pastor a church without one. Um, not even think about it from the day we started pastoring. I set up a three member pastoral advisory overseer board of pastors that I truly believe in, that I knew would be honest with me, that truly loved me and loved our family and, and believed in the ministry that we were called to and uh, communicated with them on a monthly basis. And they spoke into my life. Uh, whenever uh, decisions would be made about salary or anything like that, they communicated with my board and uh, gave input. They didn't make decisions. Mm -hmm. They just gave input, advice. You know, uh, if there was an issue, a leadership issue or any issue in the church, I had three guys that I could contact and go, help me with this. Give me some advice. Give me some wisdom that had nothing to gain from it other than I want to be there for my brother. Yeah. And I believe in the ministry. And they would come in on occasions and speak to the congregation. The body knew them. They knew their role. Yeah. They knew they were there. They knew we weren't this ministry out just running free with no accountability to anybody yeah um they knew what i made yeah they they knew my family they know you my children some of them uh, stayed on as overseers when and I they're still over. overseers now with your yeah uh, with you in leadership yeah. um and they're going right with us so uh listen if you're a pastor and you're especially you're independent but i'm saying even if you're in a denomination yeah uh there's not that level of relationship and accountability, even if you're in the denomination. So, yeah, I mean, um, a lot of our denominational guys are telling us they feel more isolated in the denomination right. than the non-denominational guys. Yeah. So, and and you know what? With those three guys, when and there there is an accountability too, that not only with me to them, but them with me because mm -hmm. I'm on their some of their uh, I'm Boys. an advisor to some of them on their board. Um, there's an accountability that you have that I've got someone, if I'm going through something personally, I can trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had so many people in the denomination, pastors in denominations through the pastor, pastor ministry, contact us and go, I cannot talk to anyone in my denomination or I'm toast. Yeah. I'm not out in sin, but I'm struggling. Yeah. And if I, if I mention it, I'm done. Yeah. You absolutely. know, you've got to have, I love how you put it. Uh, you got to have a few people in your life that know enough about you to destroy you, but love you too much to do it. Yeah. And that's what advisors and overseers are. They're, they're men that you can be yourself. Yeah. Quit every Monday you need to <laughs> call and they're going to help yes. you get back up for Wednesday or Sunday. Yeah. 
and and they're there to to oversee. Yeah, because I think that their influence in the conversation of transition is so important. Absolutely, they have a un. They care about you, but they also right. understand that your house is important. Your your church is important, right. and they have an uh, unbiased ability to know. They know the inner workings of your church because they've been communicating with you. Right. They have an outside perspective. They have. They bring a different lens to the organization. And when they can communicate with the board um, and help the board see why this is important, what time frames might need to be the most helpful, they can help scope those things for you. Now you're not siloed. You're not on an island making this decision by yourself. Should I quit? Should I not quit? Is this the guy? Is it not the guy? You've got overseers that you're talking to saying, man, I really feel like this is the guy that's supposed to take over from me. And they can give you insight, ask the right questions, give you clarity that I'm sure is going to open your mind up to say, no, I believe this is a hundred percent the right thing to do. So, uh, I, I'm glad you, you, you know, we talked through that because I think sometimes the worst thing in the world is to have a board in the church making all those decisions yeah. because they're too, they're, they're too close right. to see all the important things. Yeah. They're, they know some of the things that are very important and, and I think that they should certainly be influential, but if, it, if that's a vacuum, that's an Island and you're making a decision. And here's the thing. A lot of those board members don't have the ability to see five, 10, 20 years down the road. These yeah. overseers are all pastors. So they know what it looks like to, and to make, make, you know, if you're retiring at 60, you don't hire someone that's 52. Right. <laughs> because yeah. you're going to do this again in 10 years. Yeah. You know? No. So. And, and, and I'm really glad you brought this up because a board and, and we have a phenomenal trustee board, yep. you know, that have been extremely supportive yep. uh, to you, to myself. They've been very caring for our family. Um, we don't have fights in our meetings. You know, I hear all the horror stories. Uh, we disagree. Because uh, we're different at sometimes, but you know we're going forward together. Yeah. But they're still not pastors. That's it. And until you step in those shoes, you don't know what it's like. You have no clue, mm-hmm. no clue the sacrifice that that family's making from the head all the way down to the children. Yep. And you need some pastors speaking into that board because you, you as the pastor, you don't have the the comfort. Mm-hmm. It's not comfortable. Yep. to get up and talk about yourself or your family and the sacrifice and the things that are, but when someone else can do that that's right, and go, Hey guys, this is the reality you got, you need to be doing this mm-hmm. so that your pastor and their family's healthy and strong. That's right. You know, it, it takes that load off of you the unbelievable way as a yeah, pastor. That's, that's, that's so good. Um, one last question and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up for today and talking about, you know, just having a healthy plan for transition. And and I think we've established that you need to pay attention to the vision. You know, when, when it feels like the visions come off of you and now someone else is driving that ship that you need to pay attention to those things. You need to have, you need to have an overseer board that can help you through that process and understand, uh, you know, what's next. Uh, you know, you need to, you need to establish honor in your house. The church needs to honor you as the pastor, um, you know, and in every way possible, you need to set some things in motion to where honor is established so that after you've mm-hmm. transitioned the church, it's still there. Right. Um, and then one of the, the last thing I would love to just hear from you is, so what, what do you, what is your role now at, you know, after you've transitioned? So, you know, I, I take over, uh, 2018, what does that, what does your role look like now? And what does, what does for you, Dan Livingston's 
place at Transformation Church look like? Because I think that's what a lot of pastors are saying. What does it even look like for me to, to give this to somebody else? What do I do? Do I keep showing up? Is this still my church? Like, what does that look like? Well, I think it's very important that you still show up. Um, more important now than ever, if you want the transition to be healthy, uh, that's showing your support for it. If you don't do anything else but show up, yeah, uh, is showing that you're you're behind it and you support it. I think I learned from Willie George the other thing I was going to tell you, because um, I spoke to him personally at another conference, um, is to pull away enough that you're not in that leadership mm. role. Okay. I, I didn't go to, I have not been to a staff meeting since you took over. I have right. not been to a trustee meeting since you took over. Yeah. Um, I, I really took a two year sabbatical. Yeah. I was here every Sunday. I was here every service. I was greeting people at the door. I was doing very visible, very support on the front row, worshiping with my wife and, and very visible, but had zero responsibility yeah. for two years. Now that was my choice. Sure, we could have. There were other layers. There, there were other layers. layers. Yeah. I, I was burnt out. Yeah, <laughs> and we, you know, I lost my grandson. Yeah, and uh, and at that at the very moment we're transitioning, um, you know, we lost little Javen, your son, my five year old grandson. Yeah. There were a number of family dynamics that were and there going was that yeah, season. it was a lot yeah. of dynamics, and I needed a break. I needed to get well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was very on e at that point, uh, just from so many different directions and. And so I, I took a, a two-year sabbatical to just get well. But um, in that, you kept me in the loop. Uh, I was here all the services, very supportive, um, high-fiving, doing all the things that we do. And um, But then it was after that two-year time frame, and it could have been none. So pastors out there that don't need that, you don't have to do a two-year sabbatical. It, it could have been immediate um where you have me at times I'll do transitions on Sunday morning. So I'm up on the stage, visible to people don't need to be there. But when I'm asked, I'll do it. Uh, you'll have me, you know, three, four five times a year preach. Um, don't have to, I will when I'm asked, but you'll never hear me come and say, Hey, I, I feel like I need to preach Sunday. Um, and when, and I preach whenever I'm asked, um, we have a leadership pipeline here. That's a two year a highly, highly, highly advanced uh, in theological study, leadership training, hands-on ministry. You did it both years um, for several years, for four years, uh, and now you've asked me to pretty much take over year two. Mm -hmm. uh, year, year one is where you really deal with the theological aspect. Year two is where we deal with more of the hands-on. Uh, now take that knowledge that you've got and how do I go minister with it, mm -hmm. um, which I love doing. Yeah. You know, once a week I do that. Uh, we mentor uh, men in the church. Your mom mentors women in the church. Uh, we do small groups. Mm -hmm. um, so we're very active. Yeah. But I'm not the leader. I'm not the visionary of the house. Yep. Um, just as fulfilled. Yep. Uh, just as more happy. Mm -hmm. uh, because I get to see the church go where I could have never taken it. And that's okay. Yep. It's the way it's supposed to be. Because yep. the person you transition to one day is going to take it where Brad Livingston couldn't take right. it. Because it's going to be a different culture, different atmosphere. Yeah. And we can, we can always see further when we're standing on someone else's shoulders. Right. Right. So that's it's good. like, that's, yeah. that's the, the reality. And someone's going to stand on my shoulders while I'm still standing on yours. And they're going to be able to see even further because now they're, you know, like the, they're even higher. And so, you know, we're, we're always going to build on, on that house of honor. And I think one of the most valuable things, one of the most valuable things you've done for me and anyone that's listening, 
you know, as, as you get ready for transition, you know, if, as, as any of these things that we're talking about become a reality for you and you set your transition plan, I think one of the best things you can do, one of the things you've done for me that's been the most valuable is um, I have a incredible amount of confidence that I don't have to worry about if someone comes to you and goes, I don't think I like this, or I don't think I believe in that, or I don't, I don't think that, you know, past a, you know, what another a building expansion, or, or I can't believe we're going to, I have, there's not a single ounce of concern in me that you're going, yeah, I know. I just, it's like your, your, your response to them is he's the pastor and he's right. He's my, I support my pastor. And yeah. I, that is so helpful. And so just encouraging pastors out there that once you transition, your number one priority is to support the pastor and support the vision because we all as pastors know what it feels like when people are out there undercutting our vision and yeah. taking our legs out from under us and all those things. And so when you transition, you've done an incredible job of that. Thank you so much for that. That means the world to me and for those pastors that are out there listening. And when you transition, the only thing anyone from your church needs to hear from you is I believe in him. And now you can disagree behind closed doors. <laughs> if you, yeah. you know, maybe you can bring stuff to their attention in meetings and behind closed doors. Hey, these are just things that, you know, if you feel like something's getting a little sideways or you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking something to you, you've come to me before. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying this and I don't know what the solution is. I just want you to know it's what I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying. And every time it's been right on point and we've been able to, to see God speak through that. So behind closed doors, we can have conversations, but I don't have any concern that in front of those doors, there's any level of tension or, or division or any of those things. And that, that it makes the culture healthy as well. Yeah. And so I just want to, yeah. And, and if I can say, I know we got to close me going to you and saying, I feel like the Holy spirit prompted me to tell you this. I can count on one hand in four years. Absolutely. It's not it's pastors. Not it's not something that yeah, you yeah. do every week going nine. Nah, we need to, no, that's very, very rare. And I have to really feel that yeah. to say it. And then I want to say, I can count on one hand also in four years, the number of times someone has come to me and gone, I don't really know if I agree yep. because they know that my heart's with your heart Absolutely. and yep. they know that we're together and where we're going. Yep. So that's not a regular thing. If I'm not presenting that, if I'm having people come to me often with that, then we need to ask the question, why? Yeah. What, what is it in your demeanor? What it is in my nature and my personality is making people feel that they can do that. Absolutely. I totally you know? agree. I totally agree. So that's, you know, that's our conversation for today. We want to, we want to encourage pastors out there, have a plan for what yeah. it looks like. Ending well involves having a plan to end. Yeah. Ending well involves having a plan to end your season. And so, no one gets to the destination without setting out with a map to get there. And so for those of you that are out there, you don't know what the end looks like. You need to establish what the end looks like because then you can be praying about God giving you a roadmap and the right people to get you there. And so uh, we believe in you. We believe that God wants to do that for your church. The church needs to last beyond its current pastor. It has to. And so we want to see that go forward. And so yeah. we're super, super, you know, grateful. we said that, I know we say we're closing. I feel like, we're like pastor. pastors. Yeah. You get another closing. <laughs> In the Bible, 47 people are mentioned that we have enough of their bio to be able to see their beginning and their end. 47. Only, thir I mean, 49. 49, yeah. Only 13 ended well. That's right. And that tells us if we're going to end well, we've got to be very intentional. That's right. And so if it's in the Bible that only 13, one third, yep. 
of the characters in the Bible that started good, ended well, how much more does that tell us here on earth right now, a non-biblical day, but we're preaching the Bible, how intentional we have to be to end well or we're not going to. That's it, 100%. Our churches have to go beyond us. It has to. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Pastor to Pastor podcast. Thank you, Pop. Thank you. Dan Livingston, Pastor, PD, whatever we're going to call <laughs> We're so grateful for you. If you guys want more information, feel free to check us out. Pastor to Pastor dot life is the website. Um, and uh, we're on Instagram as well. Uh, Pastor to Pastor. And so if you have any information you need, feel free to send us an email. Go to the website. You can check all the information out there. We appreciate you guys. We'll catch you for the next episode on the Pastor to Pastor podcast. Once again, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Pastor to Pastor podcast. Please subscribe to the channel to catch more episodes as they drop on the first Wednesday of each month. If you want more information about Pastor to Pastor or want to join our network to receive content more regularly, or if you want to partner with us or support pastors around the country, then go to pastortopastor.life to get more info. We hope to catch you on the next episode where we will connect again from pastor to pastor.